What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Has to be named later. I am Chris Willis, and I am again joined by my good friend Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? What's up, Chris? It's good to be back with you, buddy. It's been, you know, a couple of weeks since we've since we've talked, and some interesting stuff has come out since our last conversation. So I'm kind of excited to get back on the horse and and get back with you. So it's always good to be on with you, buddy. Yeah, I know. We the last episode uh, was two weeks ago, and we we told everybody we was planning on. Uh, uh, going a week at a, every week uh, for a while at least anyway and uh, real life intervened last week and uh, so we had to skip uh, but we'll try to try to do a better job of that from here on out it's been kind of a busy week with awards you know the off season kind of getting to not I wouldn't say the marquee names you know it's not been like uh, that but you know it's been interesting this week we've got uh what do we have? We had this set the they set the roster for the Rule Five. We've got the non tender deadline coming up Friday, so a lot of stuff going on this week. But uh, uh, you know, just to get right into this, Ken Rosenthal put out an article the other day. It had some interesting Braves t- tidbits in it, and um, you know, I know you and I was talking about this on Slack and even on Twitter some. Uh, but the the key thing in there was that it said that if if not to expect the Braves basically to go after one of the bigger name free agents. Uh, it seemed like it was either Dansby Swanson or Bust from that standpoint. I think the last episode you and I kind of touched on, uh, well, you know, what if Swanson leaves? What if they don't sign one of the other big three shortstops? You know, we kind of talked about plan Bs in that situation and and, uh, and redistributing those funds on the roster. But I think there's a couple other things to look at here. But uh, what did you think about that report when it came out? You know, in the offseason, the first thing you always have to look at is the source because there's a lot of nonsense that comes out because there's just nothing happening and, and people need clicks. And so you, you always have to mine the source. And in baseball, there's kind of two gold standards. It's it's you know, Jeff Passan and, and Ken Rosenthal have, have kind of been the, the two gold standards for a while. And so, you know, when Rosenthal drops, a, it was basically a this is what I'm hearing kind of article. I, I took note. I clicked on it immediately because I knew there would be something in there worth reading. And, you know, he kind of poo-pooed the whole Correa, Turner, Xander possibility. He basically said, if the Braves don't sign Dansby, then they're not going to sign any of the big shortstops. And Obviously, shortstop is the biggest question mark for the Braves this offseason. There's not one even remotely close to to having to fill that spot. So that's obviously a, a pretty significant report from a highly regarded uh, baseball insider. I will say this. Historically, at least since Alex has been with the Braves, 
stuff like this doesn't leak. And so it's not 100% that he got this from the Brave side. And, you know, it could be a something he's hearing from Boris, you know, with one of his clients and something he's hearing from Dansby side. There's always, anytime information like this leaks, it's always good to ask who leaked it, right? And what's their agenda? Because everybody's got an agenda. Nobody just gives information away for free. So it's always good to keep stuff in perspective. It doesn't mean that it's 100% true. But again, Rosenthal's been in the game long enough to know when he's being kind of jerked around or when he's getting getting truth. So it is definitely notable. Um, and if it's true, then they are they are tied to Dansby even more so than we thought. You know, coming into the offseason, we all thought, you know, if they don't get Dansby, then maybe they move to one of these other guys or, you know, potential trade options. In the same article, he mentioned that Willie Adamas was unlikely to get traded by Milwaukee, which is obviously the biggest trade target that we've talked about. So, you know, if it really is Dansby or internal candidates, then they are they are tied to Dansby more than we knew. And so that's going to be, I mean, obviously that's the number one storyline. That's the number one topic for the Braves this offseason is getting shortstop figured out. So it was, even though it it's it doesn't actually confirm 100% that it's true, Rosenthal putting that in print in an article is definitely notable. I saw some people saying it's not worth even mentioning or bringing up, but that's not how this works. Rosenthal is... I mean, literally outside of Passan, Rosenthal is the second best baseball insider in the business. So when he says stuff like this, it's definitely worth pointing it out and noticing. There's a couple of ways to look at this, honestly, I think. And that's that's kind of the – as after it let it set for a little bit and, and really kind of started thinking about it, you know, I don't really think it's that much different than what you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. This doesn't mean that they're not going to uh, – spend in other areas you know they could upgrade in in a variety of spots you know left field comes to mind uh you know the rotation possibly the bullpen you know i didn't take it as if they don't sign dansby then they're they're done they're not going to do anything that just means that they may go with their internal options at shortstop which depending on how you feel about that you know i know they're there'd be some people upset with that situation if that's how it plays out. But it's also not a situation where I think they're just going to say, Oh, well, if we don't get dance, we are done. This is the, this is the roster. You know, I, I don't, I don't think it's that way. I think there's still a lot of things to be explored and, and looked at uh, before the season gets done. But I do think it's also important to point out when they locked up this core, the way they did, and they've, you know, they really, they really took that to another level um, during this season most of the heavy lifting for this roster was done, you know, and I mean, you know, it was fun to think about a Jacob deGrom or maybe a Trey Turner or Carlos Correa. Um, but, you know, I don't think it was ever comp- really realistic from that standpoint because we just never seen them hand out those type of contracts. You know, deGrom would come short possibly uh, because of his age, but then you've also got to factor in the injury history, and it just seems like a lot of risk there, and that's not something that you've seen. The Braves haven't taken a, a ton of risks. You know, I, I would say that probably the most riskiest move, you know, they've made in uh, the last couple of years is just is the signing Charlie Morton back, you know, for this uh, during the season. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's interesting to think about, but, um, you know, and then there's also this, this uh, tax number, you know, I mean, given – Depending on where you're looking, you know, it seems looks like they're only 10, 12 million away from the tax at this point. 
Um, as you've pointed out, it's not as big a deal to go into that first threshold, but it is something to think about, um, you know, as far as that goes. So, uh, you know, like I said, it doesn't, I don't think it means necessarily the way a lot of people took that. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, when Rosenthal says something or Jeff Passon says something, I pay attention to it. Um, I will say this though, as everything stand right now, I don't see the Braves getting in on those, one of those three big shortstops, but if one of them's market, for example, craters, the way Carlos Correa's did last year, if, if somebody comes and wants to do a short, you know, a short deal with a high average annual, then, you know, maybe that brings them back in. You know, I don't see them handing out that eight, nine year deal with, you know, for 30 or 35 million. But, you know, if somebody comes in with a, wanting a, a two with an opt out or something, you know, I think the Braves would be, might be interested in that. And we might, you know, that might change the thinking a little bit. We've said this a couple of times, or I don't know if we've actually said it into a mic. I know we've typed it, but, you know, the Braves have really done their best to keep everybody at the same general level when it comes to, you know, AAV, you know, all the extensions, at least for the big guys like Olsen and Riley and uh, Morton are all around 20 million a year, you know, with a margin of error in there. So I, I do think that that's the range they try to keep it at. They don't want one guy taking up an excessive amount of the payroll. You know, you don't want to be tied to one guy like that just because the risk goes way up when all that money is tied to one guy. And But here's what I'll say, and Brad has said this, and Brad and I were actually talking about this, but I'm fine. I don't I don't actually care about the money they spend, right? Like, I don't care. Like, if they go get a shortstop who a really good player, but he's making league minimum, then I, that's good with me. Like, I don't, I don't actually care how much they spend, per se. What would bother me is if they, if they willingly went with less talent to save money. So, and what I mean by that is if they didn't upgrade left field, if they didn't upgrade the rotation, and if they just went with Grissom or RC or, or whoever, you know, at shortstop, if they, it's not, a, it's not that they didn't spend the money, it's that they willingly reduced the talent level because of the money. That, that's kind of where I stand on this. And listen, if, if Orlando Arcia is the starting shortstop, come spring training and, and there's, there hasn't really been any other, you know, upgrade to the roster, then I'm, I'm going to be unhappy. I'm, I'm, I will voice some strong words. Um, if that's the case, cause you can't, you can't talk about payroll the way they've talked about payroll this off season. And you can't brag about how many millions you made in attendance for the last year and then go the cheapest possible route and, and put, less talent on the field because you want to save money. That's just a, that's a terrible look. So I don't think that will happen. I, I have a ton of confidence in Anthopolis. I don't know how you, you wouldn't, you know, Alex is one of the best GMs in baseball. So we're definitely going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but if it goes that way, then there will be some strong reactions from this podcast feed. I can promise you that. It'll be interesting. I do think they're going to be heavily in on Swanson. You know, I don't know how quick that's going to happen. I think it'd be smart for Swanson to kind of see how the shortstop market goes. But, you know, really there hasn't been a ton of news about the shortstops. And one of the things that did come out was kind of surprising. I think a lot of people had uh, Trey Turner penciled in at Philadelphia. And it sounds like Philadelphia might be interested in Xander Bogarts, who probably – 
probably is a lot closer to the range, salary range of what Swanson's going to get. So, you know, I mean, there, there you go. I mean, then you start, you know, you start trying to look for opportunities for those other guys. So I think it may take a little bit to play out. I do wonder, let's just say hypothetically, if Swanson doesn't return, they go with this Orlando Arcia, Vaughn Grissom, uh, at, at thing. I wonder how much they would be factoring in uh, a return to form of Ronald Acuna, a return to form of Eddie Rosario to kind of cover up the offense that you lost. You know, I mean, Swanson was uh, exceptional last year. I don't know that you can bank on him putting up the, that kind of season again, you know, even even on a new deal. I don't know that you're going to get the what you got from Swanson last year. But I wonder, you know, if, if they're looking at it like – we can offset the if we can just handle the shortstop position defensively, we're going to get bounce backs in the corner outfields. Um, would that cover up the offensive, uh, you know, the offense that you lost in in going from Swanson to to Arcia? Um, you know, it, I agree with you. I'm not going to be happy if it, if it ends up that way. But you know, it, I do wonder what the calculus will be. And and again, it ties back into last episode when what if Swanson leaves and we don't get one of those big three shortstops um you know do they sign somebody do you go with Arcia? it's it's kind of fascinating to think about but uh i agree with you you know it's going to be it's going to be kind of disappointing you know of course they'll come back and say they've never had a payroll this high which is true but you know if you're trying to win the world series it just doesn't feel like a world series or bust type of move if that makes sense right and yeah that's exactly that's that would be my frustration not so much that like i said if they added a quality shortstop that was making no money and payroll barely went up at all, I would be fine with that. So, you know, it's not about them physically spending the money. It's about, you know, in the middle of your World Series window, willingly putting less talent on the field to save money. That's That would be my main frustration. And so a couple points about what you just said there about, you know, using Acuna or Rosario bounce back season to make up for, for Dansby's loss. Um, that is a, that's a completely fair point. And that's, per, that, I guarantee you that is part of the calculus is that they don't think they'll get that bad of an offensive season from Acuna in 2023. The flip side of that is, are you going to get the same year that you got from Michael Harris? Right? Like, is he going to put a, a 140 WRC plus next year? You know, is William Contreras going to give you the same offense? Like there were definitely guys that underperformed last year, but there were also guys that overperformed. So, you know, that, that coin definitely goes both ways. And then to your other point about, you know, m- making up Dansby's offense, I'm actually, if it was Arcia or Grissom, I would actually be more concerned with the defense than the offense because you remember next year there's no shifting. And if you're the, if the left side of your defense is, you know, Orlando Arcia and Austin Riley, and that that could be disastrous. I know Austin's defense gets talked about in a weird way, but Austin does not have good range at shortstop. I mean, at third base, that's just a fact. And Orlando Garcia is not the you know young prospect that he was you know five, six, seven years ago. He's not the rangy shortstop that he was. He's got a really strong arm, and that certainly helps. But man, without any shifting at all, you know. Is that really the left side of the infield that you want to go with? Or, you know, if it's if it's Grissom, the same question. You know, is that really – do you want to put Grissom and Riley on the left side of the infield with no help, no ability to shift and, and to help those guys? I, 
man, that would be tough. So, but you know, we're all we're all speculating at this point. We Alex can make a trade tomorrow for a shortstop that we're not even talking about or thinking about, or so it's definitely premature. So the, the, these are all hypothetical situations. But again, when Rosenthal mentions that he doesn't think the Braves are going to be involved. You know that's noteworthy in this. Obviously, if Dansby moves on, then it gets it gets fascinating quickly. Yeah, that's a that's that's true. And um, you know, and also I forgot to mention Ozzy Albies. You know, if you get a get him back, you know, obviously that should improve some of the offensive totals you had at second. Um, you know, I think in my mind, and this is I'm saying this on November November 16th. I may feel completely different. It may look, you know, it may look sound strange in February. I don't I wor- I don't worry as much about RCS defense. I don't think just because he, I don't think he's got the the range that that Swanson's got, but I think the arm kind of gets him out of trouble a little bit there. I don't think I would want to do that long term. I don't think Grissom is would be as good defensively. And I think for Grissom went for Grissom to get the job, he's got to hit his way into it, you know, at right. that point. Um, but it is going to be interesting to watch. Like I said, I, I, I don't know why. I mean, I kind of feel this way. It felt this way last year. And, it, it, you know, it, obviously we know how that came out. And uh, I felt burned by it. But I just feel like the Braves, and, Braves need Swanson more than they've then you know he needs to go somewhere else. So I think there there's got to be a happy medium there, and uh, you know. But I do agree with you. It's just like was in Rosenthal had in this article. Swanson may very well be if he comes back, he may very well be the most high, the highest paid player on this team. But I don't think it in terms of annual average value. But I don't think it's going to be that much higher than what we've seen given to Riley or Swanson. I mean, or Olsen or, you know, any of those those guys, you know, 23, 24. I think that'd be it. And there's going to have to be some compromise there. So it's uh, it's an interesting situation. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it a bunch between now and the uh, start of spring training. You know, we've talked about this, or I've, I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter the last two weeks, but the team is much closer to the – the tax line than I think a lot of fans realize they are. Um, there's some extra things that go into the, the tax payroll that most fans don't know about or consider. And, and so they really don't have a ton of room before they get to the tax, which, you know, whether you agree with it or not, and I don't agree with it, but you know, that matters to teams and they definitely consider that. And, I've said this multiple times, but you know the the penalty for going over the tax for the first time is so hilariously small that you know I would hope it wouldn't actually be a deterrent. I can't imagine having a two hundred you know forty million dollar payroll and and then being worried about a two million dollar tax bill. That would just that seems insane to me. But it is a reality that the Braves are much closer to the luxury tax than they've ever been, or not ever been. They in, in at least the modern version of the team. Um, I think they went over the tax like back in the late 90s or a couple of times. I remember you put that in our Slack group. But, um, you know, in the, kind of this recent run, they've, they've, they've been, you know, sometimes $100 million below the tax. And we didn't know if we would ever see them back up in this range again. And they're definitely in this range. I mean, that's that's an objectively true statement. They're, they're, they have the highest payroll they've had ever right now. And so they are the tax the tax line is gonna matter this offseason, whether it should or it shouldn't, it's going to. Uh 
And so when you're when you're this close, when you've only got 10, 11 million, and listen, they can always cut salary somewhere if they need more money. You know, they've got Manny Pena making $4 million. They've still got Rosario. They still got Ozuna. They would love to clear some of that money if they could. But, you know, you can always clear money if you could find the right trade. But yeah, the, the taxes, the tax line is going to matter. And they're a lot closer to it than I think some people realize. And that's going to matter especially with shortstop. I mean, that's the that's the position that's going to get paid the most money for the Braves, or at least theoretically going to get paid the most money for the Braves this offseason. So the tax is definitely going to matter. The luxury tax is a consideration like it's never been for the Braves. Shifting gears just a little bit, uh, we're still in this Rosenthal article, and in fact he let off the, the Braves section of it with it. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, and you and I even talked about just eliminating this because of how ridiculous it was. But you know, Rosenthal began this little section by saying that the Braves were not shopping Ronald Acuna Jr. in any trades or any of the young players that they had signed to extensions. Now, it's funny, we didn't address this on the site, and I didn't address that. We didn't. I didn't write any of this up until Rosenthal's report came out because I wasn't going to give any credence to it. This rumor that the Braves, not really that the Braves were shopping him, but that Ronald was unhappy, started on MLB Network, and then it was quickly quickly picked up on social media uh, by unnamed sources or something. But it, it started with Matt Vaskersian on MLB Network. I didn't really think it was worth uh, even reminiscing, um, obviously, or even discussing. It basically, it's a, a situation where he signed that uh, contract. I don't think you and I have actually had this conversation, but I know it was a lot of a conversation on Twitter when he and Ozzy Albies agreed to those extensions. They were extremely team-friendly. You know, Ronald's, you know, I don't know, you know, I mean, as, as much as you can say about a $100 uh, million contract guarantee, Ronald could have got very much more if he had played it out and went to the uh, free agency. And I don't care if he did have a torn ACL. He's still going to get a ton more than what he was given on this deal. Now, he signed it, you know, and and went on with it. Um, So, you know, here we are. Uh, This rumor, it's unsubstantiated. Um, you know, it was uh, basically saying that Ronald was unhappy that all these other players were making more than him. Um, you know, again, whether you believe that or you don't, which I personally don't at this point, he's got nobody to blame but himself because he signed this. He signed this extension, and I thought it was weird. A lot of the, you know, pushback I got on 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 uh, on Twitter about this was, well, it's going to be a problem. Well. You know, here's the end game. If he's pushing for a trade somewhere, he's still only going to make what he's making now. Nobody's going to tear this contract up and and start over. You know, and that's kind of the point I was making, you know. So what do you want to do? You want to go to the Pirates where you can be the highest paid player on the team? Or do you want to stay in Atlanta and, uh, you know, be part of a winner? I just thought that was bizarre and that was a part of the, the whole story that everybody was looking, you know, overlooking. Um, but, you know, it was it was pretty wild that – uh, Ken Rosenthal had to address this, um, and nobody, you know, that was the thing. Matt Vaskersian said it twice on MLB Network, two different days, and nobody in the industry touched it until Rosenthal uh, struck it down in this article. So, you know, um, there it is. We we've we've kind of <laughs> we uh, I felt like we had to say something about it, but it just it just underscores again how ridiculously team-friendly the Cunha and Albies extensions were 
you know, I mean, I, it's just, it still blows my mind that they, they signed those, you know, that's good for the Braves and it's good for the players. They got guaranteed money. Both of them's been hurt a little bit, but they left a ton of money on the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw it both days that, that MLB network ran with it. And I purposely, you know, even when there's not a lot to talk about, I, I purposely just stayed away from it just because I knew it was nonsense. And I knew they were speculating, which is the most irresponsible type of, you know, I'm not even going to call it reporting. I don't even know what you call it. Just making stuff up because it's a slow news day. And, you know, I, I have no idea if Ronald Acuna is upset that players are making more money than him. I have no idea. I've never talked to Ronald Acuna Jr. But I can also guarantee you Matt Veskirchen has no idea if Ronald Acuna Jr. is upset about his contract or other people's. How often do you think Ronald Acuna Jr.'s camp is talking to Matt Veskirchen? My guess is zero. My guess it's happened zero times. And so that was my thing is, you know, if if it's real, if you have real sources and you've talked to people on the team and you've talked to the Acuna camp and it's real, then yeah, it's a story. It's obviously a story. It's a big story. But you can't just make it up. You can't just say it because you think it might be true and then play it off as true. And, you know, that's definitely why Rosenthal had to shoot it down because it was so bizarre. It was so out of left field. There was no substantiation to it. There was no sourcing. You know, he was just, he was basically on a TV set just kind of shooting from the cuff saying this stuff. And it's extremely irresponsible. It was annoying that people then ran with it and fans ran with it and other fans of other teams ran with it, coming up with fake trades for Acuna, which, by the way, all sucked because you can't come up with enough. Your organization doesn't have enough to trade for Ronald Acuna Jr. because he's on the team-friendliest deal in the world for the talent that he is. I mean, even last year after a torn ACL and an average year, Fangraphs, I think, still rated him like the number two most valuable trade asset in all of baseball, just behind Wander Franco. And that's coming off a down year and a torn ACL. So, you know, what's it going to be if he looks like himself again next year? I mean, you it's just such nonsense. It was so annoying. I, I The only reason I even wanted to touch it tonight was just to make sure I pointed out just how stupid it was and how out of left field and unsubstantiated it was and hopefully people will treat it like that and and also other things they hear from that same network and 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 treat them with you know the amount of respect or should i say lack of respect that it deserves i I felt like we needed to at least mention it doesn't deserve too much attention i'll be honest and i'm until until like i said until some of these more credible people come in with it, it's a non-story, and that's the way I'm. That's the way I'm looking at it. And uh, you know, we weren't going to touch it at all until Rosenthal, uh, you know, uh, pretty much said there was nothing to it. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, let's uh, let's get to a break right here, and then we'll we'll after a word from our sponsors, we'll be back, right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. This week was also the 
uh, Ward's Wheat for the Baseball Riders Association. Rookie of the Year was obviously a, a focal point for a lot of Braves fans. Braves were well represented this week, actually. You know, uh, Brian Snicker uh, finished third in the Manager of the Year. Uh, Max Freed finished second in the Cy Young. Uh, but the Braves, we knew we knew the Braves were coming out of uh, coming out of Monday with a Rookie of the Year winner. We just didn't know who it was going to be. You and I have talked about Michael Harris and Spencer Strider a bunch. Um, we run a, uh, a roundtable on the site earlier this week, and I think it was five four in front in 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 favor of Harris uh, with riders on the staff. I said in there, if I had a vote, it would have been Harris. But um, I tell you what, I, I went back and forth. I don't know how many times this year, uh, you know, I, there was no wrong answer. I think that was the way. I was a little surprised by the amount that Harris won. I thought it, the voting would be a little closer. But, you know, I think it's – I thought it was really interesting, honestly. What did you think about how, how, how it came out? Yeah, I mean, I said when, when Spencer got hurt kind of at the end of the season or, you know, a couple of weeks out from the end of the season that the race was so close that that, that injury – you know, where he doesn't get to finish the season and, and Michael does might be the difference in the race. Position players always get an advantage because they're just regarded more highly by the general public and, and even media than pitchers are. I still don't fully understand why that is, but you know, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash the whole debate again. We've done it so many times. I, listen, I'm super happy for Michael. Spencer deserved it. Michael deserved it. Only one can win it, so yeah, it's it's funny that it was a two-hour show. That's a new thing that MLB has launched that I was not aware of until we were in like our, you know, we were 90 minutes in and we still didn't know anything. Um, so that's kind of a fool me once situation that I won't be uh, making the same mistake again on. But yeah, good for Michael. I mean, it's a big deal to the players. I said this, I think, a couple episodes ago, but I don't really care about awards all that much. It's It's kind of a footnote in terms of, my interest level but players certainly care about this stuff and it's a big deal to them and when you win an award like this you're you're put in the same you know company as other guys that have won it and that's a big deal for players and so good for Michael man I'm happy for him I thought Spencer had a a much better case than his voting would make it appear you know I, I thought he got disrespected a little bit by the voting I think somebody left him off their ballot entirely I think one guy left him off the ballot entirely, which is one of the reasons I don't get into award voting anymore because it's just so dumb. But, you know, happy for Michael. He deserved it. He was um, unbelievable. Uh, him and, you know, J-Rod obviously won it on the AL side. And I think those two even ended up FaceTiming at some point, you know, the night they won. So that was cool. It was cool to see. I'm happy for Michael. But I'm super glad I, we're done talking about awards or at least that award, award specifically because it was – we literally been talking about it since – june or july so it was it was nice to finally get to the end and and now we can all move on with our lives it was really i don't know it was really i guess when i started really looking at it and looking at the numbers and stuff i didn't realize they were that absolutely that close i think that's just a testament to how good strider was down the stretch and if he gets those last couple of starts who knows you know it may have swung uh differently but you know it's really unprecedented to have two rookies put up seasons like that in the same season um you know I had to go back I, I had forgotten about this I don't know how but uh you know the Braves this wasn't the first time the Braves had two guys finish one two in the rookie of the year race you know Craig Kimbrell and Freddie Freeman did it in 2011 but if you go back and look 
um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the numbers that uh, that uh, Harrison uh, Harrison Strider had. So, you know, that was pretty interesting to see that the Braves, you know, the franchise had done this before. I'm sure there's others out there as well. I didn't go looking hard, but that was one of the notes that come up from this. You know, and another another aspect of this that, that we talked about a lot, I think maybe early on uh, was the new CBA rules that would have awarded, um, you know, extra year of service time and, and possibly a draft pick. And of course the Braves weren't going to get that with Strider because he wasn't preseason top 100, but it kind of um, the extensions that the Braves gave him kind of made that a non-factor as far as that went, you know, so I noticed, I know some of the Baltimore guys were, you know, I Adley Rutschman gained a whole year of service time because he finished in the, he finished second to J-Rod in the American League. So, you know, that was something we didn't have to worry about because the Braves locked these two guys up. Uh, but, you know, it's an interesting wrinkle. Uh, I know I'm not really a big fan of uh, adding the top 100 lists um, as a, uh, you know, as a means to deciding who gets draft picks or whatnot. Um, I'm not really a hundred percent sure of what all the criteria is for that, which list we're talking about, but, um, you know, it is another layer to this that, uh, I don't know if, if a lot of people were aware of, you know, going in when the Braves locked up Harris and Strider. It's a big deal. You know, if you come up in June and then you win the rookie of the year, like, you know, like Harris did or, Adley could have done. Obviously, he didn't win, but he could have. Um, then you get a full year of service time, and that's I mean, that's massive. That that's that's literally how teams manipulate service time is by waiting till you know May or June to call up players, and and obviously it doesn't matter with the Braves players because they already locked them up to extensions, like you just said. But for other you know guys in the future, that's a big deal. Being on the top one hundred prospect list is the dumbest thing in the world. That's just so like ha- tying real like incentive or, or draft picks or whatever to third party prospect list, you know, so if Keith law thinks higher of your guy than another guy, then, you know, your team gets a draft pick. Like that's just, that's just so dumb. I, Major league baseball just drives me crazy sometimes with that's all. That's something only a committee could come up with just a, a committee of randoms that probably don't even watch baseball. Quite honestly, that, that stuff drives me crazy, but other than that, yeah, the the service time st- stuff is a really big deal. I mean, that's not a small that's not a small thing at all. And um, but you know, if you're a Braves fan, you don't have to worry about it because both these guys are locked up. It'll be interesting to see if uh, if that changes some of the service time manipulation as far as that goes for some of the top guys because I know the Orioles left Adley down a little bit. I think there was an injury in there too, but I think he was down a little longer than he probably should have been. Uh, J-Rod was up with the Mariners, made the opening day roster. Um, you know, I wonder, you know, that to me has always been kind of sickening. Uh, you know, the Braves did it with Acuna. You know, I think you want the best guys in the majors. Uh, so, you know, I'll be interested to see if that service time part of that changes uh, changes the way teams approach it. Uh, I don't like the top 100 list. Uh, I don't like the incentive there. I could see a situation now where teams start really start hyping their own guys up to these these pro, these people and control these lists because why wouldn't you you know if you can if you can pull a if you can pull a extra pick or something off of that by having a guy uh, you know having a guy on a preseason list of course you're gonna want as many guys on there as you can get uh, it's an exact prospects is in an exact science anyway I know. Um, 
I know Alex Anthopoulos, I was, was asked earlier in the season about, you know, the state of the minor league. The Braves were pretty much consensus in the lower third and near the bottom for a, a lot of it. And, you know, and, and the standard answer, of course, was, you know, they didn't, they didn't really see it that way. They had a lot of guys they were excited about. And I think that's the way a lot of teams look at it. You know, they pay attention to the industry standards, but at the same time, you know, they've got their own evaluation methods and, and probably feel, you know, a whole lot different than what the public-facing um, things uh, provide. As I've gone on with my kind of baseball fandom in the last 10 years, my interest in prospect lists have decreased steadily year after year after year because just over and over and over again, you find teams that have these amazing players come up that contribute these great things, and you look and, like, you know, he was ranked like 150th, you know, in baseball or something, or wasn't ranked at all, or, you know, a Spencer Strider situation where nobody thought he could be anything but a reliever, and he was one of the best starting pitchers of baseball last year. So public prospect lists, I mean, I understand why they're around, because they drive clicks, and especially in the off season. But if I'm honest, that's about all they're good for, in my opinion. So, and tying, tying draft picks to those lists is just... <laughs> I mean, it's just so incredibly stupid, but um, yeah. And, you know, people make prospect lists. I get why, because you're trying to quantify the depth of the farm system and relative to other teams. And, you know, having a good farm system matters a lot. Don't get me wrong. I mean, prospects are the lifeblood of your organization, but public prospect lists, you know, MLB.coms or, or whatever, those, they're usually so far behind you know, they, they take a snapshot. It's like taking a snapshot of a moving train. By the time you actually get that photo, you know, where the train is, is, is nowhere close to where it was when the photo was taken. So it's usually very irrelevant. You know, it's outdated and, and I just don't spend a lot of time worrying about them, if I'm honest. It was also a busy week, uh, the Braves, for transactions. Nothing big. Um, they were active. They added uh, three guys to the 40-man roster to uh, uh, protect them from the uh, Rule 5 draft. Darius Vines, uh, Rodery Munoz, and Braden Shoemake was added to the 40-man. Uh, I think to make, let's see, to make room, they DFA'd Silvino Bracco, uh, William Woods, and Guillermo Heredia. Obviously, Heredia is probably the biggest name there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back on a minor league deal. Woods, a little bit surprising because he was he's been hyped, but you know the injuries and he kind of struggled. He's kind of struggled in Arizona Fall League. I'm not really sure there. I think the injuries is the biggest thing with him. Be interesting to see what happens to him if he if he gets it through gets through waivers or or whatnot. But uh, Braves also made some additions this week. Braves actually uh, signed Nick Anderson to a non guaranteed deal. Anderson was lights out few years ago been really injured ever since um didn't throw many in his didn't throw an inning at the major league level this year uh but i think he could be a steal if he's healthy you know if he's finally put some of that stuff behind him what were your thoughts there on uh on that signing yeah i mean it's upside right and it's not a lot of risk because it's it's very little money and it's not even guaranteed money so i'm all about upside especially in the bullpen they're so volatile you know guys that were good last year aren't necessarily going to be good this year and you know there's there's always room for randoms and, and randoms kind of always make your team. And, you know, Nick Anderson is not a random. Don't get me wrong. He was really, really good in 2019 and kind of one of my favorite quick and dirty metrics that I kind of look at is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good indicator of talent is if you, if you take strikeout rate and subtract walk rate and just use that number and then sort it, then 
you re- you get a really good kind of list of guys who who are usually pretty dominant in the bullpen, and and Anderson is one of these guys that when he's right, he strikes out everybody, and he doesn't walk a lot of guys, and just that alone is worth probably the contract the Braves are paying him. You know, if he's healthy, he's I don't even think he's that old. I think he's still like 30, 31. I mean, I guess that's old in baseball terms, but not really. And he doesn't have a ton of miles on his arm either just because he got a late start and obviously had the injury. So if he's healthy, then I like it. I mean, it's upside and very little risk. And like I said, when he's right and he's striking guys out at the rate he does and and, and not walking guys, and it it can be a legitimate weapon for you out of the bullpen. So, yeah, I was uh, kind of the signing you would expect from Alex to make, you know, high upside, low risk. Yeah, he he is actually 32 32 just turned 32 but or turned 32 in july but you're you're right i mean that's exactly what i saw honestly uh i can't take credit for it but you know i dropped his name in slack when he was uh when the raised the fa uh when he was released honestly and, and wondered kind of if the Braves would uh would, would take a flyer there you know and it's always interesting to see this is the type of thing they do you know if if you're looking at anderson as much success as he had um, in 2019, you know, if you get him and anywhere close to what Kirby Yates once was back this season, then that that puts a lot of that uh, concern in the bullpen, you know, to rest. Um, the Braves also traded for a reliever, Dennis Santana from Texas. Um, they got, uh, let's see, it was a cash considerations and the DFA Jackson Stevens, which I think everybody was a little surprised a little bit of people, but, you know, Jackson was a unsung hero early on but he, he kind of struggled down the stretch and I didn't realize it until uh you know after this after you after the move honestly but Santana's intriguing too and to me it's always fascinating when you see the Braves get a guy like this who's got surface stats aren't that great honestly and in a lot of things but there's a lot the underlying metrics you know tell a different story and uh you know he's just 26 years old opponents hit 200 with a 252 Woba against his slider you know, I just wonder if there's something – when you see a guy like – when you see the Braves get a guy like this, you always wonder is there something there that they think they can fix, you know, and it's always kind of fascinating to see how they how they approach it and if they're, you know, if they're successful or not. I mean, this is a – again, this is an upside play with very little risk because they just paid a little bit of cash to Texas. You know, this guy throws 98, 99 miles an hour, and he has a, a really good slider, like you just said, so – if it works, then he can be a weapon, and if it doesn't work, then you really didn't give up that much. So this is, I mean, this is what every team should do. I don't know why more teams don't do this. You know, when you're building a bullpen, just add add stuff, right? Add weapons, add high-velocity, good sliders. You know, you add enough of those guys, you only have to hit on a couple of them to really have a, a crazy deep bullpen, you know, especially when you add in the the more, you know, solid guys that you know are going to be good, like Iglesias and Mentor. So, um this is this this is exactly what teams should do, man. They should just, you know, it's kind of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. And you want to take flyers like this on guys that have, you know, 98, 99 mile an hour fastballs and and, and really good sliders. Because if you hit, then you've got a chance to have a wipeout reliever for at least a year, and then you kind of have to do it all over again the next year. So yeah, it's good. It's exactly what teams should be doing. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the way it is with the bullpen guys. I mean, you've got your top level guys. And, but it's a, just a volatile position. So, you know, as you say, you're almost going, you know, in half of that bullpen, you're almost going year to year anyway. 
Um, you know, yep. we've seen guys come through, be successful, and then just all of a sudden not be successful. I mean, guys like Jacob Webb, you know, and others come to mind. You just have to cycle through a, an unbelievable amount of those guys. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll agree with you. If you're going to go, you know, if you're going to take a flyer, take a flyer on a guy that's got good stuff. Um, even if yeah. the walk rate's elevated or, or whatnot, that maybe there's something, you know, maybe that's it. They see something they can fix with his windup. And, uh, you know, and like I said, if, if, uh, if Santana starts throwing more strikes, you know, I think you've got a good reliever there. And again, you know, his FIPS almost a run lower than his, uh, ERA was. So it's intriguing. Uh, it's always intriguing when you see a guy with that, that kind of, he doesn't strike out a lot of guys. That's the one surprising thing, but he doesn't get, he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact either. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of those things. Maybe, maybe they ask him to use that slider more, uh, throwing more strikes and you could have a you could have a pretty dang good reliever uh, you know just from uh looking at his numbers um i know i'm doing these out of order uh but obviously there was one other one other sign in this week and uh you know and he was broken by the player himself uh jesse chavez coming back uh he's gonna have to earn his way on by on a minor he's on a minor league deal uh with a, an invite to spring training so he'll have to earn his way onto the roster but i'll be honest with you it's it's hard for me to bet against him you know, I know he's getting up there in old age, but he can fill a variety of roles, and we know the coaching staff trusts him. Uh, so, you know, just barring an absolute collapse in the spring, I'll be shocked if uh, if Jesse Chavez is an on open a day roster. But what do you think? I mean, I just laughed when I saw it come across. You know, there was, of course, the most obvious move of the offseason was Jesse Chavez coming back to the Braves because he can only pitch for the Braves. If he pitches for anybody else, then he's – a double A pitcher at best. And when he pitches with the Braves, he's a high quality major league reliever. And so I had no doubts that he would be back at some point. You know, you know, strike, uh, midnight is going to strike at some point. He's, you're not going to keep this up forever at his age, but yeah, why not? I mean, run it back again, no risk. That's a, a theme for bullpen pieces. If, if you've noticed with Alex, you know, unless it's, Unless it's, you know, it's weird. He, he either takes all the risk with, you know, big signings like Kenley or Will Smith or trading for Rossiel Iglesias' massive contract, or he takes absolutely no risk with with trades or signings like this. You know, it's it's like he lives at the two ends of the extreme with relievers. So it's funny to see. But, yeah, Jesse is just a – again, it's just a lottery ticket. You just see if you can, you know, strike – lightning strike in a bottle again and, and see if you can get a good year out of him. One thing I will say is that I did want to see the Braves add a little more velocity to their bullpen. You know, last year they had they had guys like, you know, Jansen was throwing 93, Will Smith was throwing 93, Jackson Stevens was throwing like 93, 94. You know, they had McHugh throwing 89, they had O'Day throwing 89, they had Jesse Chavez throwing 86, 87. You know, in an era where a lot of teams were throwing 99, 100, the Braves didn't have a ton of velocity, and it didn't end up hurting, and the bullpen was very good last year. But I am happy to see a little bit more velocity. It, it, it does help you get out of those kind of big jams, especially in the extra innings when you need a, a strikeout. Um, so I, I, I am a fan of getting a little bit more velocity on the, on the roster. Um, Jesse Chavez obviously doesn't contribute to that but the other two guys do and so um and obviously with Iglesias and Mentor and if Yates gets back all those guys throw hard so it is good to see a little bit more velocity on the in the bullpen and um 
you know, I think it'll be a strength again. I think Alex does a really good job building bullpens, so I'm sure some of these guys will contribute. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see who else they bring to uh, spring training because I think that's, you know, if you can get those veteran guys like that, um, you know, even on minor league contract, the relievers, you know, to come in and compete for jobs. I mean, look at Jackson Stevens, you know, he he didn't break camp with the team, but, you know, he pretty much spent just about the whole season on the active roster. Uh, so, you know, those, those can be big. Um, you know, I'll be, uh, there'll be some, there'll be other names I'm sure that, uh, you know, will make some noise in the spring. Um, you know, talking about the velocity and all too, you losing, losing Tyler Matzik for the year. Uh, but yeah. you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Luke Jackson yet. He's a free agent. I don't, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see Luke back at, at some point too. And he's, you know, there's another guy that's been in big spots and, and performed and, uh, you know, if uh, if his arm's right and that slider's right, you know, he's an effective reliever. So wouldn't be shocked at all to see the Braves uh, bring him back as well. So, um, but uh, I think that's it for us this week. I mean, uh, have you got anything else you want to you wanna cover before we get out of here? No, I don't think so. Just, you know, this is kind of the – this is kind of the waiting period of the off season, right? We're just kind of waiting. You kind of just scroll through Twitter, or I guess as long as Twitter is still alive. Um, every day I open the app, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised to see it still there. But you kind of just, you know, scroll through Twitter and wait for the team to break the next signing. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's kind of the dead period. So we, we do our best to, to throw out content. We still got a lot of content coming. We, I know we're doing the player reviews for the season. You know, the, the winter meetings are coming up pretty soon. We've got a war season right now. So there's still content on the site. The podcast network has been active. We'll be active all off season. So, you know, come check out the site, check out the feed, subscribe, tell your friends. Obviously we've got the main show with Brad and Scott and, and, and our show. And, you know, we've got Sean doing the daily stuff and I don't know. I actually don't know what's happening with road to Atlanta now that Eric is leaving, but I'm sure we'll have some sort of prospect. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on that. So, uh, we should have, it may not be till after the first of the year, but we'll eventually, uh, we'll have another minor league show on the, on the network too. So, you know, a lot of good things coming up, um, non-tender deadlines Friday. So be, be sure to check out the site and I'm sure that'll be something Brad and, uh, Scott cover this weekend. But, uh, um, you know, and like you said, winter meetings are right around the corner and I expect these to be a little bit more like the normal winter meetings that we were used to. Uh, the yep. last few back, have been a little, a little dull. Back to normal. Yeah. Uh, first year of a CBA, everybody likes to let loose of the purse strings a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some signings. Um, if, it, if, even if it's not at the Braves, I, I wouldn't be surprised to, you know, Aaron judge or even, or somebody like that to come off the board. And, uh, you know, once those big names start, start signing, then everybody else will get moving. So it, uh, it should be interesting to see, but, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be back here next week. Uh, if nothing happens and, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.